Blog Talk Radio.
Shalom, shalom, shalom. Babakwatawab, which means good morning in the ancient Paleo Hebrew. I am your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapai. Welcome to the show, y'all. Welcome to episode eight of FYI for your information, y'all. I know it's been quite some time, and it's been a long time since I did FYI. Um, I've been on the plantation, man. I can't put it no um, other way, man. I've been on the grind. Uh, but I'm back, man. I'm back. I'm back. Uh, and rededicating myself to FYI episodes. So um, let me go ahead and read these scriptures. I definitely want to talk about something else before I go into my class. Try not to be too long-winded because I definitely want to get to the class, y'all, and hopefully finish the class today dealing with the history of the Gentiles. But uh, like I always do, let's get Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be saying on a daily, brothers and sisters, so we can get the hell on out of this demonic, filthy, wicked place, man. All right, let's get Psalms chapter 118 verse 24 This is the day which the Lord Had made We will rejoice and be Glad in it Good or bad, happy or sad The most high brought you to it, he'll bring you through it And you'll come out better On the other side Because of it Please believe me Alright man I want to send shots out to All our affiliated schools the brothers here in San Antonio, the brothers in H-Town, the brothers in Virginia, the brothers in Rochester, New York, um, the brothers uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico right now. Getting it in, uh, I see Mashaba on the line, so I'm assuming y'all ain't packing up. <laughs> Guess y'all going to pack up later, but the brothers went all seven days for the Feast of Tabernacle, also known as the Feast of Boots. And the brothers was roughing it, man. They was in the mountains. And if you're unfamiliar with uh, New Mexico, man, my goodness. It starts to cool off around this time of year, but even when it ain't uh, chilly at this time of year, because I remember being out there, I think it was in June of a couple years back, man. By the by, had invited me and the boys to come out 
and uh, fellowship, hang out, and uh, be brotherly, man. Uh, appreciate him for doing so. The boys had a great time. But anyway, we were out there like in the middle of the summer, man, and we went up to the mountains. Now, mind you, summertime is, is hot as hell, man. So it was probably about a good, I want to say good, it was in the 90s. But anyway, we went into the mountains, man. And my goodness, it must have been about 30 degrees in the mountains. <laughs> it was freezing, man. I mean, we went from having shorts and uh, wife beaters on to everybody had coats on. And everybody bought their coat because everybody knew what time it was, man. But uh, I say that to send shouts out to those brothers that are getting it in, roughing it, man, in the elements. <laughs> shouts out to you brothers, man. Um, no doubt, Mashaba said, it is cold up here at night, but it has been spiritually refreshing. That's to why, Bob. That is great. That's good news, man. I'm glad you brothers are having that experience. Wish I could have been there. I was definitely there in spirit, though. I and let the brothers know I'm coming, man. I'm coming. I'm I'm about that work. I'm ready to put my brick in. Um, which leads me to this, man. We have lost brothers over the years, man. Good brothers. Good brothers, man, over the years. A lot of them, my friends, and I don't use the term loosely. I still are, I still am in communication with a lot of these brothers. And I still got love for these brothers because we spent a significant amount of time together. But not only the time, the experiences that we shared together and the things that we went through made our bonds tighter, made us look at each other truly as brothers, truly as friends. And like I said, these are brothers that when I say we've lost a many in the terms of they're not with this particular camp anymore. Now, what I want us to understand about this is Christ is the measurement. It tells us in this, tells us that in the scriptures that Christ is indeed the measurement, y'all. So when you measure yourself to a man, you're going to come up short every time. Man is flawed. We are flawed men by nature, and I don't care what positions or what ranks that we have. We're flawed by nature. Does this mean that we do not follow? No, it does not mean that. Because there has to be a leader and there has to be a follower. That's the way the Most High set everything up. You can go through countless scriptures in the Bible and see that wherever it was a prophet, he had an apprentice, he had somebody follow him. You can go all the way back to Moses and Joshua on that one. You, hell, you, honestly, you can go all the way back to Cain and Abel on that one. What do you think the Moses I was talking about when he said that uh, to, to you, to, 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 to your desire should be him? It meant that Cain, the older brother, was going to be under the younger, younger brother Abel because Abel knew what to bring. He knew the right stuff to bring, man. Brothers that's on that, oh, 
ain't gonna let no man tell me I ain't gonna be on stop that man. That's the way the most high set it up. And the most high set it up that reason. Come on now. Excuse me, y'all. The most high set it up that way for a reason, y'all. It was to humble us first and foremost. And secondly, to give these men an opportunity to lead. They have to know, they have to learn how to lead, man. You're not just, ain't no born leaders, contrary to popular belief. Men have to be taught in the skills of leadership. And every man, every man's going to make mistakes. Let me get this scripture real quick. Here it is right here. I said that Christ was the measurement, no doubt. It says, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, till we all come in, come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Who's the only perfect man? Yahweh Shai, without flaw, without blemish. This is why he was the ultimate and the perfect sacrifice, because he truly was perfect. He did not break any law. There was no guile found in him, no pride found in him, no upstaging found in him, no, hey, look at me, I'm the man found in him. I don't know where brothers get this mess from now. Everybody want to be the man, want all eyes on them. Watching, uh, listening to damn Tupac songs, I guess, too much, all eyes on me. Anyway, it says, let me read it again, Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. So Christ is the perfect man. He's the example. Now listen to this. Unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So who's the measurement? Christ is the measurement. This is what you measure yourself to, brothers and sisters. Not the head of your camp. Yeah, the head of your camp or your acronym or your assembly might be a great teacher, might have great attributes, great things that you like about them. But does that mean you measure yourself up to them? No, because for as great as we are, we all have our flaws. And you be around the way we operate, the way we deal, you are close enough to brothers to see their flaws. You'll find yourself measuring yourself to a man and then you find out that he does something, and because he does it, it gives you the green light to do it. No, brother. No, sister. Go for sister, too. Sister, see, um, other sisters who might, you know, husband might be the head of a camp or an assembly or an acronym or whatever, and see them doing some stuff, and they think it's okay for them to do it just because they've seen them do it, when this ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. It's not biblical. It's not biblical, y'all. Christ is the measurement. Because what will happen is the parable of the sower. If you ain't rooted, if you didn't fall on proper ground, you're going to be uprooted because you were not here because you truly believe in this book in which none of us are exempt from. Let's get Matthew chapter 10. Because I believe that a lot of people, a lot of brothers and sisters, 
they missed this right here, man. You know, that's why the scripture says study to show thyself. You better know the scriptures. You better know them and you better believe in them and apply them. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, this is Christ speaking. Who are the wolves he's talking about, y'all? And remember, these are the disciples he was talking about. You call yourself a disciple now, a student of Christ, a Christian, a real Christian, meaning you following Christ. This goes for you also. The words on red, this is him speaking. Behold, I see you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. The wolves ain't the nations, y'all. The wolves is us. It's our own people. Our own people. Who's going to betray you? Because that's what most brothers and sisters deal with that, that have left. It's the effects of the betrayal. But wasn't Christ betrayed? Didn't Judas Iscariot, who studied under Christ for three years, roam with Christ for three years, didn't he betray Christ? And not only him, all of the disciples turn their backs on Christ. Go back and read about the crucifixion. All of them got little. All of them. So if we're following Christ, what do you think going to happen to us? Why do you think Christ checked Peter when Peter said, no, Lord, this ain't going to happen to you when Christ was telling Peter he was going to be crucified, he was going to die? Peter was like, mm-hmm, no, no, Lord, nope, it ain't going to happen. What did Yahweh tell him? Get behind me, Satan. Why was Peter saying that in the first place? Because Peter understood, hey, if I'm following this man, chances are I'm going to be murked too. I'm going to die also. And he didn't want to go through that. We don't want to go through that. We don't want to go through the betrayal. But we have to. We have to, y'all. Think about it. How else could you utilize the scriptures? How else could the scriptures make sense to you? It ain't till you get betrayed by someone you love, by someone you call your brother, someone you call your sister. So Christ said he sent us four sheep from among wolves. It's talking about us. That's a fact. Let me prove it. Let's get Acts chapter 20. This is one of Christ's disciples, Paul. This is Paul on his farewell tour right before he, he died. So this is Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Listen to this. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over, over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. Feed the church of God. Now, listen to what he's saying. He said, take heed therefore unto yourselves. He means be careful. Be careful when you get in positions of authority, positions of rank, because there's a lot of temptation. There's power, and we know what, what Esau said, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. <laughs> this is what Paul's talking about. 
a lot of the rank and the position that brothers get tend to go to their head a lot of times. And this is why he says in verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. You're supposed to be concerned with who? The flock. The people that are following you, following you. The people that you've been in charge of. The people that you are the steward of. Over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. So the Most High, the Spirit of Yahweh Shai has made you the overseer. To feed the church. Mind you, it didn't say feed yourself. Feed the church of God, which which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, to what Paul says, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you and not sparing the flock. These are the same wolves Christ told us he sent us forth. <laughs> Sheep amongst those wolves, us, our own people. If you ain't studying, if you ain't reading the Bible, you're going to be surprised when this happens to you. You're going to be offended when this happens to you. And what's going to happen? You're going to leave. You're going to not just leave the camp. You're going to leave the most high. You ain't pick the book up no more. You're going to go back into whatever it is you was into before you came into the knowledge of the truth because, because these particular brothers, Betrayed you, offended you Oh, now the, the Bible ain't the Bible no more Reading on Verse 30 Also of your own selves Of your own selves Remember? Wolves of your, Also of your own selves shall men arise Speaking perverse things To draw away Disciples after them Everybody has a role Y'all some people were put into the truth purposely to draw you away. This is the way the Most High set it up. This is the way Christ set it up. Verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This is what Paul said. I've been trying to warn y'all. There are niggas amongst you. He said with tears. Psalms 35. I'm definitely going to go over today, y'all. I apologize. 35 and 11. False witnesses did rise up. <laughs> they laid to my charge things that I knew not. This is David speaking. Who are the false witnesses he's talking about? He's not talking about no nations, y'all. He ain't talking about Esau. He's talking about us, the niggas that's in Israel. They rewarded me evil for good. Brothers come in, good intentions. The things they come out with, the ideas they come up with, good intentions out of sincerity, out of a pure mind, out of a pure heart. But what happens? Niggas get jealous. Niggas get jealous and think that these brothers are trying to replace them or make a name for themselves, and they get defensive and they retaliate. Seen it, experienced it, been a part of it. Verse 13, but as for me, 
when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. Like I said, we lost a lot of good brothers, a good a lot of good friends. I bowed down heavily as one that mourned for his mother. Now listen to this. This is the betrayal, verse 15. But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the objects, the objects gathered themselves together against me. I knew it not. <laughs> what is this? Betrayal. Oh, brother, I thought we was cool. I thought we was brothers. I thought this was the truth. I thought this was Yahweh Shai. They did tear me and cease not. They didn't stop. Verse 16. With hypocritical mockers in feast. <laughs> oh, Lord, wait a minute. In the feast? So brothers are talking cash money stuff about you at feast? <laughs> Hell yeah. They gnash upon me with their teeth. I hope everybody's listening to this. This is talking about us. Us on us. Black on black crime. Brown on brown crime. At the highest level. Betrayal, y'all. Christ went through this. Who are we to think we ain't going to go through it? Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry. You're going to be angry when you get betrayed. It's a hard pill to swallow. I was watching uh, Malcolm X last night, and Malcolm X was talking about when he got betrayed by Elijah Muhammad and the nation of Islam. He said if it was death, I could have accepted that. And that's the way betrayal is, man. You'd rather accept being dead and have the one you thought was your brother, the one you thought was your sister betray you. But remember, Christ set it up this way. He set it up this way. How else could you exercise turning the other cheek? How else could you exercise forgive your brother seven times 70? How else could you exercise this? And then on the flip side of that, how else could that person who betrayed you that did things harmful or hurtful you do, how could they exercise admission of guilt, repentance? How could they exercise that? Because a lot of these lessons, they got to get for themselves. For as much as we want to show them how they did things that was hurtful and harmful, they have to see it for themselves. The most high has to reveal it to them. Read this again, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and sin not. What does it say? You can be angry. Yeah. Everybody got a right to Everybody, we're humans. But what does it say? It says sin not. Don't break the law just because of what happened to you 
Don't go out and do things that you know are against the most high just because you angry. It says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What you're supposed to do is this. See Matthew chapter 18. I'm trying to hurry up, y'all, get to the class. I had no intention of going this long. My bad. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, those offenses, it says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. This be the problem. I'm guilty of it. Done it before. You go and you tell another brother the problem you got with a brother. Instead of going to that brother directly and letting him know, hey, brother, this is what bothers me. This is what's going on that I don't like. We all have an obligation to, if we see anything going on in our acronym, in our camp, our congregation of gathering, whatever you want to call it, we have an obligation to say something. We have an obligation to say something. We do. And don't be scared to say it in fear that you might get put out, in fear that you might get uh, uh, excommunicated. Stand up for righteousness, man. We have an obligation to say something. But the problem be, we'll go and tell somebody else instead of going directly to that person, letting them know, hey, this is what's going on that, that you doing that I don't see. This is biblical, bro. This is hurt. This is harming people. This is hurting people. We all have an obligation to do this. It says, go to him alone, and he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So y'all, if y'all can work it out, then y'all can go on being brothers, being friends. And then you can read down as the steps you're supposed to follow. But this is the, this is the process we're supposed to follow. But a lot of times we don't follow this process. And we do stuff like this right here. Let's get First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 38. Any man be ignorant. Matter of fact, hold on. Before I get that, before I get that, let's get this right here. This is what we do when we get offended. Uh, let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 15. And read verse 20. He had commanded no man to do wickedly. The Most High ain't gave no commandment for you to do wickedly. Now listen to this. Neither had he get given any man license to sin. Because this is what happens. Brother make you mad, camp leader piss you off, hurt you, do something to you, and what you do? You think because that brother, because he was your standard, he was your measurement, he did X, Y, Z to you, all the niggas did this to me, F them niggas, I'm going to do this now. Now you think you got a license to sin. Now you think you got a license to go back to your damn vomit. If you're doing this, if you're moving like this, then you just as off as the nigga that you're mad at. You ain't no better than them. You're doing the exact same thing that they're doing because you have not made the Bible the measurement. You've made a man the measurement. And you using them as fuel for you to do wicked stuff. Come on, man, stop. None of us have a license to sin. Most high and grant you permission to be off. Get back in the book. Rededicate yourself. If you can't fellowship and congregate with them brothers, find somebody else to do it with then. Should say, woe to him that's alone. There are many Israelites out here in your city. 
get to know them. Don't box yourself in. Now, the last one I'm going to give, 1 Corinthians 14, 38. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. So if your leaders or uh, heads of your congregational group, they ain't seeing what you've been trying to tell them, the scripts say let them still be ignorant. Let them still be un- unlearned of this. It's going to come to their detriment. I guarantee you the Most High has an excellent check and balance system, y'all. Remember, the Most High said, vengeance is his. Praise you, the Lord. All right, y'all. I just wanted to get that off my chest. And I want to do this, man. I want to get that round of applause, man, to all the brothers that put their brick in, man. That put their brick in, that that left, that didn't stay. I want to give y'all a round of applause and, and give y'all y'all what they say, y'all roses now, man. Appreciate the work that y'all put in and the bricks y'all laid, man. All right, y'all. Let me regroup and I'm gonna get to the class on the other side of this intermission. Into the class, man, and I apologize to y'all. If this is your first time tuning in um, on FYI, I usually just go straight into a topic, and I do about two hours of the topic, man. Um, on Tuesdays, I do like an hour of news, and then uh, get into a topic uh, about an hour. Today, I am going to be running a little bit over, man, because my soapbox uh, went a little bit over, man. I mean, but hell, this is my platform, so I got something to say. I'm gonna get it off my chest, man. Anyway, digging into the class, uh, this is a series that I started a couple of weeks back. And what I covered, first of all, in this series, what series was, like it says, the history of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles historically have been pagans, and that's what I covered, how they believed in different deities. And I brought a lot of the deities out, a lot of historical information to back what the Bible is talking about, um, that they were pagans. And they were pagans all the way up to the time doing the New Testament also. So I was bringing that out. Then I brought out how the Most High has historically, biblically felt about the Gentiles or the nations, and which that he's never liked them. He said that they were like a drop in the bucket. He said they were insignificant. So it would make no sense for him to change his mind in the New Testament all of a sudden and say, oh, yeah, yeah, they can get salvation, and which I've been proving that time and time again. And then we went into uh, circumcision, showing that how circumcision only applied to the Jews because the Jews were the only people that were circumcised and had that as the token of the covenant of the Most High. 
And when I when I say they had that as the token of the covenant of the Most High, and a relationship between them and the Most High. Remember, Abraham had many sons, and a lot of his well, all of his sons were circumcised, including Ishmael, including the sons uh, Kizihah with Keturah. Yeah, they were circumcised also. A uh, lot. Uh, matter of fact, not even a lot. Um, but Abraham and all those people were circumcised, right? All his sons. But the covenant went to Abraham, y'all, and Abraham's seed after him, which was Isaac. You can read that in Genesis chapter 17. And then it extended to uh, Israel, who, I'm sorry, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And that man Israel had 12 sons, and his 12 sons make up the children of Israel, and that covenant was extended to them. So the Israelites were the only circumcised people who had that covenant with the Most High. And that is consistent all throughout the Bible. So now that we're up to speed, let's go to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. It says, what advantage then had the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And this is Paul speaking. He said, what advantage or what benefit is it to be a Jew or to be an Israelite? The reason he's saying it's Jew here is because after the Babylonian captivity, y'all, they started referring to all Israelites as Jews, all right? All Israelites, no matter what tribe you came from. So what Paul is asking here is what advantage or what benefit is it then have the Jew? He says, well, what profit is there of circumcision? Because once again, the last series that I covered or the last topic I covered dealing with the series talked about circumcision. So when you see and you read in the New Testament, it's talking about circumcision or uncircumcision. It's talking about Israelites and Israelites that didn't know they were Israelites who went under the title as Gentiles or as referred to as the unclean or the uncircumcised. So this is why Paul is coming back, bringing it Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage or what benefit then have the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Now, listen to what Paul says. He says, much every way. So he says, it's beneficial in every way. But listen to this. He says, chiefly, meaning mainly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Oracles means answers. So who has the answers? Who got the answers of God? The Israelites did. Us as a nation, not the whole world. I want us to understand this. The Israelites historically have been the only people the Most High has ever, ever dealt with. Let's get Baruch chapter 4. So Baruch chapter 4, and let's read verse 1. Can you turn that light on for me? This is the book of the commandments of God and the law that endured forever. All they that keep it shall come to life, but such as leave it Shall die Now let's jump Matter of fact This is the verse I wanted I'm sorry y'all Let's read verse 4 first We're going to jump back up <laughs> Oh Israel Happy are we For things that are pleasing to God <laughs> Are made known unto us Like Paul just said in Romans chapter 3 That we were given the oracles of God Baruch is saying the same thing Read it again Baruch 4 and 4 Oh Israel Happy are we for things that are pleasing to God or made known unto us. 
hope everybody is seeing this. Back up at the top, verse 1. This is the book of the commandments of God and the law that endure forever. All they that keep it shall come to life, but as but such as leave it shall die. Turn thee, O Jacob, and take hold of it. It didn't say the whole world is going to take of it. It says, O Jacob, and, and take hold of it. Walk in the presence of the light thereof, that thou mayest be illuminated. Listen to this, verse 3. Give not thy honor to another. So what are the Israelites not to do? To give honor to another like another nation. You think? Don't give honor to another nation. The other nations don't care about you. They're not going to come into the sheepfold. The, the the oracles do not apply to them. It says, nor the things that are profitable unto thee to a strange nation. So how the hell would Paul be trying to offer these valuable oracle gifts in the New Testament to non-Israelites? This would be a complete contradiction of the narrative of the Bible. I hope everybody's getting this. Now, let's deal with some difficult passages that are in the Bible. Let's go to Acts, chapter 8. Let's start at verse 25. All right, hold on for a second. I'm going to get a sip before we get cold. All right. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. And they... When they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of of the Samaritans. So talking with the disciples. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a man of Ethiopia. Now, notice it didn't say he was an Ethiopian. He said he was a man of Ethiopia, but we read completely over stuff like this. Anyway, it says a eunuch of great authority under uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem So this Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem for to worship. What the hell? Why is the Ethiopian coming to Jerusalem to worship? Who's he worshiping? What God was in Jerusalem? The temple was in Jerusalem. The Most High, the God of the Israelites. So why the hell would he be going to Jerusalem? This, This supposed Ethiopian, why would he be going there? To worship at Jerusalem, y'all. 
see, people read completely over stuff like this, man. We have to read things in context. So I want to go to a book now, y'all, the Holman's Bible Atlas. And I want to get page 243. All right. It says, early expansion of the church. Now listen to this, y'all. Later, Philip journeyed upon divine impulse southwest from Jerusalem. Now, it's talking about the same Philip we're reading about in Acts, the uh, eighth chapter. Later, Philip journeyed upon divine impulse southwest from Jerusalem on a road that ran past Bethgravis, Bethgravis, through the southern Shepherd Hills of Gaza. Along the way, he met an Ethiopian official in the service of Queen Candace, who was returning home after attending the festivals in Jerusalem. What damn festivals? <laughs> the feast days. The feast days. So this Ethiopian went to Jerusalem to celebrate whatever feast day that we were celebrating in Jerusalem. Come on, y'all. Why would another nation be going to Jerusalem to celebrate an Israelite feast day, high holy day? That would make no sense. Reading on. Philip baptized the man after explaining the words of Isaiah 53 in light of the death of the resurrection of Jesus. Philip then continued his ministry by preaching in Ashdod and other coastal towns before settling in Caesarea Maritania. Maritania. But the point being, this Ethiopian was celebrating the festivals in Jerusalem or the feast days. I'm not sure. I try to look up and see what feast days were going on during this time. I was unsuccessful. But he was definitely celebrating some type of feast day in Jerusalem. Once again, why would a nation be celebrating an Israelite feast day? Because we know historically the nations, let me get this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20. Listen to this. But I say, and this is Paul speaking, who y'all holy rollers are always quoting, trying to bring nations into the sheepfold. Verse 20, 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, what does Gentile mean once again? It means nation, heathen, Gentiles. All those words are synonymous with each other. Read it again, 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. This is what Paul is saying about the Gentiles. They worship, they sacrifice to devils, not the most high. So why the hell, once again, I ask this question, why the hell would this Ethiopian, who supposedly is another from another nation, be going to Jerusalem to worship? When historically, Paul just told you that the Gentiles 
or pagans. That would make no sense. Did we did we distinguish between nations? Yes, we did. Watch this. Let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Since we're dealing with Ethiopians, Numbers chapter 12, and let's read verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So this is telling you what? That Moses' siblings had issue with him marrying a nation. Now, why did they have issues with him marrying a nation? Because the Israelites were forbidden to deal or to marry Nations And Paul we know Who was a student of the law And constantly quotes the Old Constantly quotes the Old Testament He knows this Philip knows this also Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 When the Lord thy God shall bring thee Into the land where the thou Lord to possess it And had cast out many nations Before thee The Hittites and the Gergesites and the Amorites And the Canaanites and the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations, greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, now he said, when you go in, you see these people, God delivered them before you, God delivered these people before the Israelites. Let's see if he say, invite them into your land with you. Let them inherit your inheritance with you. Let's see if he says that. Thou shalt smite them. No, he did not say that. What was the judgment of all these nations he just named in verse well, 1? Kill them, you know, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant or contract with them, nor show mercy unto them. So here is the God of the Bible who religion say loves everybody, telling one race to kill another race. Here's the God of the Bible that people say, well, God is not racist. God is fair. God is love. Telling his people to kill other people that are not the same nationality. Hmm. You don't say. All right. Let's get, let's go to Zonovan. Let's get page 213. We're still dealing with the Ethiopian, y'all. Remember, we're going through all this to uh, educate and edify who this supposed Ethiopian man was. Uh, all right, so we're on page, Zunderman Bible, uh, Bible, Compact Bible Dictionary, page 213. Ham, the youngest son of Noah, born probably about 96 years before the flood. And one of eight persons to live through the flood. So this is Ham, one of Noah's sons, right? And listen to this. He became the progenitor of the dark races, not the Negroes. So he was not the father. That's what the word progenitor means. The father of so-called Negroes, so-called black people. He, not the father. So the Hamites, are not our relatives. They ain't our kin folks. The Africans are not our relatives. 
but let's name who he was the father or progenitor of. But the Egyptians, so Ham was the father of the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, which are in question, the like the Libyans, and Canaanites. Then it says, see Genesis chapter 10. So let's go to Genesis chapter 10, which is the table of nations. Let's see if the Zonavan is consistent with the Bible. Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Put, and Canaan. He said, we're talking about, I said, Cush, who, who are these Cush people? Let's find out. All right, y'all, let's go to Josephus now. We're going to be in quite a few books, y'all. So let's go to Josephus. I'm going to get the chapter and stuff for y'all in a minute. It's page 36, though, if you got the blue Josephus. Let's find out who Cush is. All right, so this is Josephus, Antiquity of the Jews, y'all. This is uh, Book 1, Chapter 6, Paragraph 2. The children of Ham possessed the land from Syria and uh, Ammonus and the mountains of Libya, seizing upon all that was on its seacoast and as far as the ocean. So we're dealing with the children of Ham once again. And keeping it as their own. Some indeed of its names are utterly vanished away. So he's telling us, that some of the children of Ham, their names have vanished. They're no longer known by those names. It says others of them being changed and another sound given them. So they've been given other names. Are hardly to be discovered. Yet, so meaning because their names are changed, you, you can't discover who they are because they changed the names. It says yet a few there or, or which have kept their denomination entire. So a few of them still keeps their same biblical name. It says, for of the four sons of Ham, time has not at all hurt the name of Cush. For the Ethiopians over whom he reigned are ever at this day both by themselves and by all men in Asia called Cushite. I brought this out to show that the Cushites are the Ethiopians, y'all. They're today's Ethiopians. Hope everybody is seeing this. Now let's go to Zephaniah chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 11. Let's start at 11. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. So the them is talking about other nations that is named in verse 9. 
but pretty much all the other nations in general and the gods that they worship. They worship. Because remember what Paul said, that the Gentiles, they worship idols. They sacrifice the devils. Read on. And men shall worship him, everyone from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. So all the heathen, all the nations, the Gentiles are going to worship the most high. Listen to this, verse 12. Ye Ethiopians also, ye shall be slain by my sword. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. But I thought Philip taught the Ethiopians. I thought the Ethiopians was cool. I thought they was going to get the kingdom because the Ethiopian got baptized. What does the Most High say about the Ethiopians? Ye Ethiopians also, ye shall be slain by my sword. So how are they going to get salvation? How does salvation even apply to them? These Ethiopians or these Cushites. This lets you know that Philip was not dealing with a straight-up Ethiopian. I'm going get to get to that in a minute and explain who he was talking to. But before we do that, let's go to the encyclopedia.com. It says Cushite religion. So this is talking about the people of Cush, who they are. But I want to jump down and get this part right here. It says, detailed information about the religion of Cush. And remember, who are the Cushites, y'all? The Ethiopians. So it says, detailed information about the religion of Cush is scanty. The accounts of classical writers are unreliable, and the indigenous language of Cush, called Meritoric, is largely unprecedented. Most of our information is based on interpretations of reliefs carved on temples and tomb walls and on Batal or Balik. It says, in the beginning, the religion of Kush appears to have different little, different little from that of uh, Pharaonic Egypt, meaning that the Kushites in the Egyptian's religion, one in the same. The principal state deities was Amon. So this is one of the deities of the Ethiopians, Amon, whose cult was celebrated at the great state temples of Napata, Napata and Miro and at many other places. Other Egyptian deities, and then why is the name of Egyptian deities? Because remember, Ethiopian deities, Egyptian deities, one and the same. They worship the same deities, the same demigods, the same devils that Paul talked, said that the Gentiles worship. Other Egyptian deities who are depicted in Cushite temple relics include the moon god Kusuk, the Ibius-headed Throt, and the goddesses Isis, Hathro, and Mut, the ram-headed Kum, god of cataracts, was especially venerated in the cataract re- region of northern Kush. Horus, 
who in Egypt symbolized the pharaonic authority, another deity especially popular in the north. So these were the gods that the Ethiopians worshipped. I hope y'all seeing this. This goes hand in hand with what Paul said. Let me read it again. First Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 20, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So why the hell would Philip be fellowshipping with a devil, pagan? Because Paul said that they sacrifice to devils. And remember, they said that this Ethiopian was coming from Jerusalem. And I have the other historical uh, fact that shows he was coming from one of the festivals of the Israelites. How could that be when historically the Gentiles worshipped deities? They were pagans. So that wouldn't make sense, y'all. I hope y'all are seeing this. Let's get Deuteronomy chapter 4. So we're going to start at verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments, this is Moses speaking, that ye might do them in the land whether ye go to possess it. Now listen to this. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. What similar tools is he talking about? Verse 16. Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image. So he's talking about images. Similar tools. Similar tools is something symbolic of something else. Like all the nations have their symbols to symbolize what they worship. Like I went over it in, uh, what was it? Never waxed pale when I was dealing with paganism. The symbol of the cross is not really a cross. It's a T for Tammuz. That's a symbol that the nation, that religion, still is rocking. The Ankh, which is an extension, with, that's the same thing as the cross. Same thing, ain't no different, y'all. It's worshiping, honoring Tammuz. The nation of Islam was the Islamic faith as a whole. What do they worship? The moon and the star. Also the cobblestone of Mecca. This is what the nations historically have always worshipped. They're historically been idolaters, pagan things. Lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, and the nations also will have what's known as phallic symbols, like that big Penis that's in Washington, uh, Washington D.C. The Washington Monument. I forgot. I think what they call that damn thing. It, y'all can't miss it. Y'all know y'all have seen it. Whether you've seen it in person or on TV, it's a big giant erect, erect statue standing straight up in Washington. That's a penis, y'all. That's a phallic symbol. It says, verse 17, 
the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flied in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. So he said, don't corrupt yourselves with these things. He's talking to the Israelites. Now listen to this, verse 19. And lest thou lift up thy eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, should it be driven to worship them. So the Israelites were forbidden to worship phallic symbols, idols uh, that made from, for animals, idols of moons, stars, quays, all that. We were forbidden to do that. It says, and serve them, which the Lord thy God had divided unto all nations under the heaven. So the Most High gave all of these things to the nations to worship, not us. So my question, once again, since we know historically, biblically, that the nations were given to paganism and idolatry, how the hell is Philip teaching and converting uh, Ethiopians? Not so. Not so, y'all. Let's get Psalms 96 and 5. Psalms 96 and 5. For all the gods of the nations are idols. We, we just read this. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Most High gave them <laughs> idols. He gave them over to idolatry. Read it again. Psalms 96 and 5. For all the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens. You see the distinction here? <laughs> Do, are, are, we, are we seeing this? Are we comprehending this? Are we understanding this? So how the hell could the nations now worship the Most High and get salvation and get all the things that he promised the Israelites? That would completely contradict the Bible. Isaiah chapter 11, y'all. Let's see who Philip was actually teaching. Was he really an Ethiopian? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. And this shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Who's the most high going to recover? The remnant of his people. I'm going to go remedial, y'all. Why am I going remedial? Because Israel's remedial. Why do you think the same theme is repeated all throughout the Bible? Because we remedial as, as a people. We truly are. And to think, I felt bad for being remedial when I was in grade school. I was remedial, y'all. So I had the resource classes. I had the remedial classes. I had the special classes. Now I used to feel bad about that. But come to find out, the whole damn nation is remedial. Isaiah 11 and 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. It didn't say all people. It said his people. His is a singular possessive pronoun. 
which shows ownership. Like you would say, that is his car. Those are his shoes. That's his coat. Well, now we're talking about God's people, his people. Reading on, which shall be left. So God's people are going to be left. Read from Assyria. So God has people, Israelites, that were where? In Assyria and from Egypt. God has his people that were left where? In Egypt. And from Pathros, northern Egypt. He has people that was left in Pathros. And from what? You don't say. Cush. Well, wait a minute. There are some Israelites that are in the land of Cush? That are in the land of Ethiopia? Wow. This might have been the guy that Philip was teaching and he baptized. You damn right it was. <laughs> Absolutely it was. Let me read on. And from Elam. Elam is talking about India. The East Indians with the dot. So are there Israelites in India? Yes, it is. I believe they're called the Sabis. It says, and from Shinar, and from Hamath. I'm sorry, Shinar is, I believe, Iraq. It says Hamath. I don't know where that is. Oh, Syria. And from the islands of the sea. So are there Israelites in Iraq? Yep. Are there Israelites in Syria? Yep. It says, and from the sea. So the islands, all the islands, not just the Caribbean islands, y'all. Our Benjamite brothers, uh, his so-called Hispanic brothers, but also the South Pacific Islands. Were there Israelites there? Yes. Verse 12. And he shall set up an ensign for the nation. So it's going to be a sign set up for the nation. Why is it going to be set up for the nation? And shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. It has to be set up for all the nations because the, the Israelites were scattered through all nations. So there has to be a sign leading them back to the Most High, back to the Father. And remember, they refer to as outcasts. Let me read verse 12 again. And he shall set up an ensign for the nation and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel. And gather together, listen to this, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Come on, man. It did say the dispersed, right? What does that mean, the dispersed? So you had Israelites that was dispersed. All throughout the globe, all over, man. We got Israelites everywhere. I hope everybody is seeing this. Now let's get Zephaniah chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 10.
Zephaniah 3 and 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. My supplants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring my offering. Oh, my goodness. Come on, man. Read again, Zephaniah 2 and 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, right? My supplants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring my offering. This goes right in hand where we just read Isaiah chapter 11, man. God's dispersed people are all over the planet, y'all. This was the Ethiopian that Philip taught, that he baptized. Now let's get, go back to the Zona, man. We're going to go to page 133. I brought this out before. I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to keep bringing it out, man. Once again, Israel's remedial. <laughs> Diaspora. That's what the dispersed means. The diaspora. So this, this is the definition of diaspora, which is sown. All right? That's the first thing. To sow some means to plant. So you have Israelites that were planted all around the globe. Now listen to this. The name applied to the Jews living outside of Palestine. What? So the dispersed is talking about, we just read in Zephaniah, that we read in Isaiah, it's talking about the Jews or the Israelites that were living outside of Palestine, talking about Israel or Jerusalem. So they weren't in, we weren't in our holy land. We were living outside our holy land. But it says, and maintaining their religious faith. So what? We knew we were Israelites. A lot of us did. It says, and maintaining their religious faith among the Gentiles. You don't say Moses I'm sorry God had warned the Jews Through Moses That dispersion Among other nations Would be their lot If they departed from the Mosaic law It cites Deuteronomy chapter 4 Verse 27 Deuteronomy chapter 28 Verse 64 through 68 These prophecies Were largely fulfilled In the two captivities By Assyria so the Assyrian captivity, they took out the northern kingdom. And Babylonia took out the southern kingdom. But there were other captivities. Yes, there was the Persian Mede captivity, the Greek captivity, and the Roman captivity, which helped scatter the Israelites. By the time of Christ, or by the time you get to the New Testament, the diaspora must have been several times the population of Palestine, meaning you had more Israelites that were outside of Israel that was actually in Israel. You had more Israelites that was in other nations than you had in Israel. Paul, listen to this, y'all, invariably contacted the people in every city he visited. Why was Paul doing all the traveling? Who was he visiting? The diaspora, those Israelites that were scattered through all nations. Those letters he wrote were to who? The diaspora, the Israelites that were scattered through all nations. I hope we're seeing this, man. All right. Now let's deal with 
Brother Cornelius. Acts chapter 10. I know this has been the debate and the topic of the many brothers, and some brothers believe that Cornelius was a nation. I don't subscribe to that. I don't subscribe to it because the Bible says different. Historical facts says different. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. So people see the word Italian, and they just all admit, oh, see, he was an Italian. He was an Italian. See that? Funny, man. Our people are so brainwashed by Esau and program that as soon as we see a black person and they might speak another language, kind of, I, I, I went over that one before. That's a good one, too. John 735. Y'all can read that one on y'all own time. It just talked about, read it, read it. Christ is saying the same thing. The diaspora, the dispersion. Come, I, I got that one, but I, I want to cover this because I got a lot more information I want to cover. Um, the water for that. Our people, man, you get a black person speaking French, and what do they say? Oh, he's a Frenchman. Because he speaks French, he ain't black no more. He's a Frenchman. And them not knowing that this brother, his people came, may have came from the Congo. And we know that we have many Israelites in the Congo and on the uh, west coast of Africa. Or, for example, Tony Parker. Everybody said, oh, he's from France. He's a Frenchman. Y'all know this nigga daddy from Chicago? <laughs> Did y'all know that? But our dumbass, just because he speaks French, excuse my French, <laughs> pun intended, will say that he's a Frenchman. That's not so, but this is the way we think, man. This is the way we operate, sadly to say, in ignorance. All right, so let's deal with Cornelius being from the Italian band. Let's get, hold this, y'all. We're going to get Acts chapter 18 and verse 2. Acts chapter 18, verse 2. And found a certain Jew. And he started one reading context. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to court and came to Corinth. And found now this is Paul doing all this traveling. Why? He was visiting these Israelites that were scattered in these nations, in these countries. Verse two. And found a certain Jew. So Paul found a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus. Lately, come from Italy. Uh, she came from Italy, huh? So was she Italian? <laughs> I mean, she came from Italy, right? So wouldn't this make her Italian? Oh, but she was born in Pontus. I don't know what Pontus is. If I get this, it makes her a Pontus. <laughs> but it tells you that she was a Jew. But where was she coming from? Italy. But we'll read, we'll read right over stuff like this. So was Cornelius an Italian? No, man, he wasn't. We're going to prove it. Just like this sister Aquila 
was a Jew, but she was coming from Italy, man. Let's get Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 22. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. I want to pause letters. Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. <laughs> they of where? All the saints that was where? At Italy. Uh, let me read this again. Let me calm down, man. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 24. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. But who are the saints? Let's get Psalms chapter 148. They sang a song as if it was a new song, and only the 144. <laughs> this is the song, man. We just, we just got key scriptures that we just go to. I don't care what Israelite group you with, is we all got the same song. <laughs> Psalms 148, verse 14. He also exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints. The praise of who? All his saints, even of the children of Israel. Who are the saints? The children of Israel. A people near unto him, praise ye the Lord. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13, verse 24, once again. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints. To all the salute all the Israelites. They of Italy salute you. So the saints that was of Italy salute you. I hope we see in this. We got two examples in the New Testament of Israelites that was from Italy. All to help edify Cornelius, the supposed Italian, in Acts chapter 10. Can the Israelites speak another language or be from another area and still be an Israelite? Yes, he can be an Israelite. He might be called another nation or he might be called a Gentile, but he's still, in fact, what? An Israelite. I hope y'all seeing this. All right, y'all, let's get Psalms. I'm sorry. Let's go to the Josephus now. Page 307. I want y'all to listen to this, man. Josephus, page 307. So this is book 11, chapter 8, and it's the end of paragraph 5. I'm going to start at line 337. I think it is. Hold on. Yeah, that's 337. 
And when the book of Daniel was showed him, now, backdrop, this is Alexander when he came into Jerusalem to destroy the city. And what happened was he didn't destroy the city. Instead, he was met with the priests because the Most High had gave them instructions to do when Alexander arrived. He was overwhelmed by the priests and greeted them, and he actually went in and gave an offering up to the Most High by way of the priest that instructed him. And he ended up giving the Most High all the praises. Now look to this. And when the book of Daniel was showed him, so they, the priest showed Alexander the book of Daniel, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians. Now, you can go to the book of Daniel and read Daniel, the second chapter. I'm sorry, yeah, the, the second chapter. Daniel, the uh, seventh chapter. Daniel, chapter eight. And I believe also Daniel, chapter nine, where it talks about the Greeks coming into power. They showed Daniel this. He supposed that himself was the person intended. And as he was then glad, he dis, dismiss, dismissed the multitude for the present, but the next day he called to him and bade them ask what favors they pleased of him. So he dispersed all the Israelites, but the next day he called the Israelites back. Whereupon the, the high priest desired that they might enjoy the laws of their forefathers. So he asked what, what we wanted, and the priest said, we want to keep the law. And might pay no tribute on the seventh year and pay no taxes to the seventh year. He granted all they desired, and when they entreated him that he would permit the Jews in Babylon, so is Jews where? Babylon, to all the territory that the Babylonians conquered, and Media, to all the territory that the Persian Medes conquered, Alexander the Greeks had just inherited because they conquered them. And they conquered them. These were conquered nations. To enjoy their own laws also, he willingly promised to do hereafter what they desired. So he granted them their wish. But it came with stipulations. Listen to this. And when he said to the multitude that if any of them, so any of the Israelites, would enlist themselves in his army. What? On this condition That they should continue Under the law of their forefathers So Alexander said Yeah I'll grant y'all this But y'all gotta Some of y'all gotta join my army And fight with me Now listen to this And live according to them He was willing to Take them with him Many were Ready to accompany Him in his war So guess what You had Hebrew Israelites That were in the Greek army Duh Yeah Just like this brother Cornelius Was in the Roman army This was not Uncommon Let's get Second Ezra chapter 3 This wasn't uncommon y'all Second Ezra chapter 3 and let's go to verse 1. We're going to jump around a little bit. It 
in the 13 year after the ruin of the city, I was in Babylon and laid trouble upon my bed, and my thoughts came up over my heart. Hold on, y'all. Did I run? No, I'm tripping. I said second. It's first Ezra, y'all. My bad. Correct your notes. First Ezra chapter 3. Here it is. Now, when Darius reigned, so this is Darius, uh, Persian Media Empire time, he made a great feast unto all his subjects and to all his household and unto all the princesses of Persia, I'm sorry, Media and Persia. So this is during the Persian Media Empire during their reign. And to all the governors and captains and lieutenants that were under him from India unto Ethiopia of 127 providence. Or provinces, and when they had eaten and drunken, and being satisfied, were gone home. Then Darius the king went to his bedchamber, and slept, and soon after, and soon after awakened. Then three young men, that were of the guard that kept the king's body, so the king's body guards, spake one to another. Let every one of us speak. A sentence. He that shall overcome, and whose sentence shall seem wiser than the others, unto him shall the king Darius give great gifts and great things and to- token of victory. So they made a deal. Whoever came up with the best sentence would get a victory. They would get the token of the victory. Verse 6. As to be clothed in purple, to drink in gold, and to sleep under gold, and a chariot with uh, with riddles of gold, and and head tire of fine linen, and a chain about his neck. And he shall sit next to Darius because of his wisdom, and shall be called Darius his and and shall be called Darius his cousin. All right. So this this is the reward that whoever had the best sentence was going to get. Now let's go to uh, chapter four. And we're going to start at verse 13. Then the third, because remember, it was three bodyguards of the king. This is the third. Then the third, who had spoken of women and of the truth, this was Zerubbabel, began to speak. So this Zerubbabel was an Israelite that actually went back with Ezra and Nehemiah to help rebuild the second temple during the reign of the Persian Medes under Cyrus the Great and Darius. I hope everybody's seeing this. This Israelite was a bodyguard of the Persian king Darius. Y'all seeing this? All right, now let's jump down to verse 42 and continue to prove that this was Israelite. Then said the king unto him, Ask what thou wilt more than is appointed in the writing. So Zerubbabel warned, and the king said, man, you can ask whatever you want to. I'm going to give you what, what y'all agreed upon, and I'm going to give you more. And we will give it to thee, because thou art found wisest, and thou shalt sit next me, and shalt be called my cousin. Then said he unto the king, remember thy vow, which thou hast vowed to build Jerusalem. Why would he be concerned with Jerusalem? Because he was from that captivity. 
and he remembered Cyrus the Great, and Darius agreed to send the Israelites back to rebuild the second temple. He says, in the day when thou camest to, the, to thy kingdom, and to send away all the vessels that were taken away out of Jerusalem, which Cyrus set up when he vowed to destroy Babylon and to send them again thither. Thou also hast vowed to build up the temple, which the Edomite, <laughs> so-called white people, these are the these are your Italians, the, like the real Italians, <laughs> the Edomites, those people, the Roman Edomites, burned when Judah, I'm sorry, sorry, Judea was made desolate by the Chaldeans. I hope y'all is hearing this, man. This brother was an Israelite who was bodyguard to the Persian Mede king Darius. No different than Cornelius was in the Roman army. Reading on verse 46. And now, O Lord the king, that is that that this is that which I require and which I desire thee, and this is the uh, princely liberty proceeding from thyself. I desire, therefore, that thou make good the vow, the performance whereof with, with thy own mouth thou hast vowed to the king of heaven. So he's like, man, make good on your promise that you promised the most high, verse 47. Then Darius the king stood up and kissed him and wrote letters for him unto all the treasurers and lieutenants and captains and governors that they should safely convey on their way both him and all those that go up with him to build Jerusalem. So he gave them permission to do so. But once again, this is an Israelite in the office of a nation. No different than Cornelius. Let's get Nehemiah chapter 1. This is not unusual, y'all. Once again, for an Israelite to work for a nation. Come on, y'all. We got brothers in the military now. In fact, Mashaba told me that his first teacher, Mashaba got the truth dropped on him in the military. <laughs> Come on, man. This is the same thing. Cornelius is the same situation. He was an Israelite that was in the damn army, the Roman army. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10. Once again, you would have Israelites that were employed by nations to do different jobs. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 10. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. This is Nehemiah talking to the Most High. Now listen, verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thy ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servants and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and 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 prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. In the sight of what man? The king at this time, I believe it was a, a, a hazardous that he was under. 
It says, for I was the king's cup bearer. So this is another Israelite who got a job working for the nation. Hell, what do we think we doing? Who we working for? Working for the man. Working for Mr. Charlie. Working for the nation. We get to the, the New Testament, man, we just lose all damn sense. All rationale. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. And the child grew, the child talking about Moses, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the washer. So here we have it, an Israelite, Moses, actually being counted <laughs> as a nation. He passed as the Pharaoh's grandson. But was he an Egyptian? Because the Pharaoh was Egyptian. No, he was not an Egyptian. He was an Israelite. But guess what? Moses rose up in in Egypt and became a great leader, a great general, and led the Egyptians to many valiant victories. This Israelite, who was an Egyptian soldier, you don't say, just like Cornelius. All right, now let's go to Esther. Yeah, I'm going to beat the dead horse. We be completely reading over stuff, man. Is it making sense now, y'all, why they take out the New Testament and give you half a Bible? Because you get half a Bible, now you ain't got this information. Now you can't put the dots together. So by the time you get to the New Testament, you're completely bamboozled, <laughs> tricked. You're believing, they're taking everything for face value. That's the chapter 2, man, and verse 5. We're going to jump around a little bit. Now, in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimiel, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. So he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity so this is during the Persian media captivity right here, which had been carried away with Jochanan, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, as a matter of fact, the brother was part of the, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the uh, Babylonian captivity also, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So now he's in another captivity, the Persian media captivity. Now let's go to uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, the same Mordecai we talked about in chapter 2, that Israelite, bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, What transgressed thou the king's commandment? Why transgressed thou the king's commandment? Now, but listen to what it said. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate. Where was Mordecai at? At the king's gate. So that would make Mordecai what? A servant of the king. So did Mordecai work for the man? Yeah, he worked for the man too. I hope we're seeing this 
Daniel chapter 2. How many brothers are in the military now that got the truth? How many brothers are police officers that got the truth? Detectives, firefighters, uh, EMS uh, people. Come on, man. We all have jobs working for the man. We're in captivity. Let's not get stupid. Daniel chapter 2, verse uh, 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. He what? (laughs) So this king, this Babylonian king, worshipped an Israelite. He worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Now, you read at the beginning of this chapter, he wanted to put Daniel and his companions in the damn furnace and burn them up and kill them. I'm sorry, no, he wanted to kill them because that was the order, because nobody could interpret this dream. He was going to murk everybody. But Daniel shows up, interprets the dream with his companions, and this is what happened. He fell down and worshipped Daniel, Read it on, verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Oh, of the truth it is that your God is a God of gods, the most high. He's the highest. And the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Verse 48, the part I want to get to. Listen, y'all. Then the king made Daniel a great man. And gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all wise men of Babylon. So did Daniel work for the man? Yes, Daniel worked for the man also. Just like who? Like Cornelius did. I hope everybody is seeing this. Let's get Acts chapter 13. And let's start at verse 47. For so had the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So this is another difficult passage, precept, that people stumble over. Because it says, for for so had the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Wow, you say. So, is this really talking about Gentiles? Let's see what this is talking about. Let's get Jeremiah, get a contrasting scripture that says different to this. Then we're gonna we're gonna explain what this is talking about. Get Jeremiah four. Jeremiah chapter four. And let us start at verse 1. 
Jeremiah 4 and 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, said the Lord, return unto me, and if thou wilt put away thy abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not be removed. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Verse 3. For thus said the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break you up, I'm sorry, break break up your follows, your follow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskin of your heart, ye men of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doing. So he's clearly talking here about the Israelites, how if we do righteous, he's going to bless us. If we don't, he's going to destroy us. Verse 5, declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense and let us go into the defense cities. Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire. Stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. And this is the part I want to get to, verse 7. The lion is come up from his thicket. So who is the lion? Who's known as the conquering lion? Who is the lion of Judah? Christ. This is talking about Christ. The lion has come up from his thicket. And the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. Well, wait a minute. Christ is the destroyer of the Gentiles? Well, that ain't what we just read in Acts. Acts said he was going to be the light to the Gentiles. (laughs) How could he be the light to the Gentiles, but he's the destroyer of the Gentiles? That would make no damn sense. So it's got to be talking about some other Gentiles, it's got to be talking about something deeper than what I think it's talking about. I always ask brothers when they come with that nonsense, because there's actually some brothers that believe that Gentiles can make it. I always bring them here. How can Christ be the savior of the Gentiles, but he's also the destroyer of the Gentiles? That makes no sense. I'm going to read this again, verse 7. The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He is gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy city shall be laid waste without inhabitation. He's coming to destroy the Gentiles and their land, y'all. The scriptures just said it. We're going to keep proving this. Get Isaiah chapter 63. See why they just get out of New Testament? Isaiah chapter 63 and 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, 
I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to do some edification here. So it says, somebody's coming from Edom. Let's get Edom. All right. This is the Compact Bible Dictionary, page 141. Edom, Edomites, the nation and its people who were the descendants of Esau. So the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Hope everybody's seeing that. But then it says in this scripture, let me read it again, Isaiah 6, 3 and 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? With dyed garments from Basra. All right. So it mentions Basra. Now Esau, y'all, Karen Day is the so-called white man. This is proven historically, biblically. We I done went over this. Oodles and oodles of time, man. It is proof. It's a fact. So-called white people, we loosely refer to them as white, but they're really the shade of red. They're the Edomites, y'all. All right, let's deal with Basra, though. Okay. I'm sorry, I must have passed it. I got it. So this is the compact uh compact Zondervan Bible Dictionary, page ninety-four. Basra, city of Edom. So Basra is a city of the Edomites. So called white people. Now let's read this again. So we got that understanding. Who is this that that cometh from Edom? Edom once again, so called white man. With dyed garments from Basra. So Basra is the chief capital city of Edom. This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So this person got dyed garments. He's in uh, Basra and he's saving people. Now let's go to. Uh, Come on, man. Did I do that? Let's keep reading. Wherefore, art thou red in thy apparel? So this person has on red apparel. It says, and, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry, y'all. Let's back up a little bit. We are going to go there. Let's go to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi 1 and 3. My notes kind of jumbled up here, y'all. I'm sorry. Malachi 1 and 3. I am going to go over, y'all. Um, damn, I 
thought I was going to finish this. It don't look like I'm going to finish, y'all. I'm going to try, though. I'm going to try. All right, my count one and three. It reads, and I hated Esau and laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So we're learning more about these Edomites. Because remember, in Isaiah 63 and 1, he's coming from the city of Edom, or this person, yeah. Esau, Edomites, synonymous with each other. And we find out that the Most High says, matter of fact, let me read up, verse 1, Malachi 1 and 1, the burden of the word of the Lord, I'm sorry, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, said the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yes, twin brother, said the Lord, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. And lay his mountain and his heritage well for the dragons of the wilderness. So we find out here the Most High hates Esau. All right. Now let's couple this with Romans chapter 9, verse 13. This is where Paul actually gets it from, y'all. I don't know if y'all knew this. Romans 9, 13. As it is written. Where is it written? We just read it in Malachi 1 and 3. Jacob have I loved But Esau have I hated. <laughs> Man, do y'all see this? This is in the New Testament. Paul constantly, constantly quotes the Old Testament. That's what a lot of people ain't figured out yet. <laughs> I am, Mark. I am. That's what a lot of people have not figured out yet. That Paul is constantly quoting the New Testament. I'm sorry, the Old Testament. Now let's go back. Let's go back to Malachi. Let's get some more of that. Malachi, what was we at? Uh, one to three. And I hated Esau and laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragon of the wilderness. Whereas Edom said, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. So this is in the heart of Esau, man. There's another scripture said that they, the thoughts of them, they, they, their kingdom is going to continue forever. I believe that's in Job. But no, they, their kingdom is not going to continue forever. But this is what they think. Thus said the Lord of hosts, they shall build. Said Esau, you're going to keep building your stuff up, but I will throw down. Most high is going to destroy you. It says, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord had indignation forever. What does that mean? The Most High has indignation against these people forever, meaning an indefinite amount of time. He hates these people. Like he said time and time again. So now let's go back to Isaiah 63. And we're going to put all these pieces together. We know the Most High hates these people. And we find out a certain person is in this city right here. So Isaiah chapter 63, starting verse 1 again. 
Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So again, he indicates who he is. So this person is a savior. Verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel? So this apparel is red, and thy garments like him that treaded in the wine fat. That's the 92nd mark. I'm going to keep going, though. So it says he treaded in the wine fat. Who is this person? And why has he got on these garments that's red? Hold this, and let's go to Revelation chapter 19, y'all. We're going to put the pieces together. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture garment dipped in blood. So we find it now. Matter of fact, let me keep reading. And his name is called the Word of God. <laughs> Who is this that got this garment on that's dipped in blood? Because hold on, let me put it together. Hold this in Revelation. Isaiah 63 and verse 2, Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel, and thy garments like him that treaded in the wine fat? The blood of grapes is red, y'all. The garment he has on is red. But where is the red coming from? Revelation chapter 19. Matter of fact, let me start at verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of, flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood. That same blood from Isaiah, the 63rd chapter, verse 2, y'all. And who is this talking about? It's talking about Christ, who the world calls Christ. We know him as Yahweh Shah, but it's in fact talking about him. Let me read it again, verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Who is called the Word of God, man? Let's go to St. John, chapter 1, in verse 1. Because people might think, probably you speculating that it's not talking about Christ. It's not my Jesus. Yeah, you're right. It ain't your Jesus. Your Jesus is a figment of your imagination. The Jesus of the Bible? He killing folks. St. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, before we get on this, God and Christ being the same person, that is not so. Let's jump down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Who's the only begotten of the Father? This time about Christ, full of grace and truth. I hope y'all are seeing this. I hope y'all, let me keep reading. John bear witness of him. So I'm talking about who? The word of God. And cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. 
He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have I, have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, they're going to name them by name now, came by Jesus Christ. So who is the word that's mighty to save, that his doom is going to be dyed in blood? This is talking about Christ, Revelation 19, 13 again. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 63. Putting the pieces together, y'all. Read it again from the top, verse 1. I'm sorry, I got to go back to Revelation. Uh, we're going to go there, though. Well, let me get this right, man. Let me get this right, y'all. Here we go. Who, Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this that cometh from Eden with thy garments from Bible? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So he is the Savior. Tell my Christ. Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel and thy garments, like him that treaded in the wine fat? Remember, Christ is the destroyer of the Gentiles, so this fits what we just read in the scriptures, verse 3. I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon their garments. And I will stain all my raiment. Whew. Come on, man. Christ said, they blood going to be all over him. He going to stain all his clothes up. Christ said, I'm going to mess up a good shirt for this. Verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. The vengeance. Yes, that's why I say he's the destroyer of the nation. He's going to take vengeance upon the nations for all the stuff they did to us. Said, in the year of my in the year of my redeemer is come, and I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me, and I will tread down the people in my anger, and make them drunk in my fury. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. This is the most high, man. Christ executing judgment on the Gentiles. Remember, he's the destroyer of nations. Hope everybody's seeing this. Now, why why would Christ take this approach? Let's get second Ezra chapter six and verse fifty-six. Second Ezra chapter six verse fifty six. For the other people, which also come of Adam, the nations, the Gentiles, thou hast said that they are nothing. Y'all see this? The other nations, nothing, insignificant. It says, but be like unto spittle, spit, 
and has likened the abundance of them unto a drop that falleth from a vessel. So this has been consistent concerning the Gentiles, man, the pagans. Verse 57. And now, O Lord, behold, these heathen, synonymous with the word Gentile, synonymous with the word nation, which have ever been reputed as nothing. The Gentiles have always been known amongst the Israelites and the Most High being nothing. Have begun to be lords over us and to devour us. And this is why Christ is coming back to render that vengeance. We already talked about it. We already got it. Verse 58. But we thy people, whom thou hast called thy firstborn, thy only begotten, and thy fervent lover, are given into their hands. And we have been through our captivities, our own fault. If the world now be made for our sakes, why do we not possess an inheritance with the world? How long shall this endure? This is uh, Ezra saying, man, if you don't like the nation and you made the world for us, then why the hell are they in control and why are we suffering? But the Most High is bringing all of that to an end by way of Christ. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, Amaz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And this shall come to pass, meaning what? This has not happened yet. All the stuff we read about in these prophecies have not happened yet. And it shall come to pass in that day, in the, I'm sorry, in the day, in the, in the, uh, Read again. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. So what Ezra's just talked about happening is going to happen. The Most High is giving him his answer. It's going to happen. The, the When it says mountain, it's talking about the government of the Most High, the government of Israel. It's going to be established. And it's going to govern the whole entire globe, y'all. We're going to be rightfully put back in the place that we should have been in from the beginning, meaning the rulers of the earth, the, the, the conquerors, the kings and queens of the nation. It says, read it again, And this shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted. Above the hills And all nations Shall flow unto it Now people read it and say See the nation's going to make it We're going to get to that Watch this And many people shall go and say Come ye and let us Go up let, And let us Go up to the mountain of the Lord To the house of the God of Jacob And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Y'all see this? So that all nations going to keep the commandments, y'all, all of them. They ain't going to have a choice. And they're going to be under our thumb. They're going to be under the rulership of the Israelites. 
I hope everybody's seeing this. I'm going to prove it. Isaiah chapter 60. We're coming back here, y'all. Isaiah 60 and 11. People don't read the Bible, man. Isaiah 60, verse 11. Therefore, thy gates shall be open continually. My goodness. I'm not done with this chapter. I'm telling y'all. Whose gates going to be open continually? The Israelites. It's going to prove it. Watch. Therefore, thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles. Because remember, Isaiah chapter 2, it says that the Gentiles was going to come to us, right? Saying they want to serve the Most High and all of that, right? But they got to bring, when it says their forces, it's talking about their resources. The Gentiles are going to bring they, all their resources, they bring it to us. Read this again. Therefore, thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shed day nor night. Now, remember, it says, therefore, thy gates shall, meaning it ain't happened yet, future prophecy, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. So who else is going to be serving us? All the nation's kings. So all they little prime ministers, all their kings, all their presidents is going to serve the Israelites. Yeah, that's why Christ is called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. What's the King of, of Kingdoms? That's an emperor. We're going to be in charge, y'all, in charge at large. Verse 12, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. So get down the lay down. That old Beanie Siegel state property move. Get out of lay down, man. You're going to be down with the Israelites and you're going to die. Verse 13. Now, just remember, he's talking about the nation, the Gentiles. So, about the Gentiles going to make it. Yeah, they're going to make it, but in a subservient position. Not in the position that we going to be in. Come on, man. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be right. All nations have had their chance to rule and rulership. All nations. Especially the so-called white man. So he have so he got his time to rule on earth, right now his kingdom. And then when the Israelite kingdom comes, he gonna rule again. Stop, y'all. God is God is fair. The Most High is fair. That would be unfair for Esau to have his kingdom now. The so-called white man have his kingdom now, and then when Yahushua come back and bring his kingdom, the so-called white man still gonna be in power. No, that would make no sense. Verse 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come upon thee. The fir trees, the pine trees, and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Man, you hear this? The nation is going to build a new sanctuary. They're going to be working. You are talking about trees getting cut down. They're going to work. Just like they worked us to build their kingdoms, build their nations up. They're going to do the same thing. Hell, just in, as it pertains to America, who built this place? You have no damn railroads. 
have no industry. You have no infrastructure if we didn't build it. So it's only fair that they're going to build our kingdom. They're going to do for us what we did for them. Most High is beautiful, man. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. Hold on, man. I got too excited. Lost my damn place. Hold on. Um, 14. The son also of them that afflicted thee. What? The son talking about who? The next generation or ten generations later, however many generations. Because the first thing you say or white folks like to say, well, I ain't on no slaves. Well, your ancestors did. Your peoples did. Now listen to what the Most High said. The sons also of them that afflicted thee. That's talking about many generations. You're going to pay for what your ancestors did. You're going to get this work. Afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. This is a real the hell with some damn boots getting kissed. The hell with that. That's nothing. You know what will be something? When they sons and daughters serve us, serve us hand and foot 24 hours a day. I'll take that over some damn boots getting kissed any day. Verse 15. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee. And we have been forsaken, left to our own devices, put in a damn petri dish and experimenting on to see what would happen to us. Remember that damn movie, The Godfather, uh, when they was having that meeting, and he said, sell it to the niggas and the spicks. He said, they're animals anyway. Let them lose their soul. We've been disregarded, been left and cast away, been hated. Verse 15 again. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency. He said an eternal, forever, excellency. We, we're going to be forever excellent. And the joy of many generations. Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles. Like I said, all their resources. Remember the Most High said he, get, he was going to give us a land flowing with milk and honey? Milk and honey being a lot of resources in abundance. This is what it's talking about right here. All the resources of the nations in abundance. All the resources of the Gentiles in abundance. And shall suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior and thy Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Who is the most high, the Redeemer, the Savior of? Of the Israelites, y'all. Read it on. For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood brass, and for stones iron. I will also make thy officers peace, and thy extractors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. We ain't going to be fighting each other no more. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders. 
but thou shalt call thy wall salvation and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. What is this talking about? Verse 20, thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thy everlasting life, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Now, we got to get what he's talking about. We ain't going to need the sun and the moon no more. Revelation chapter 21. And the and the twelve gates were twelve were twelve pearls. So this is talking about because you always and I used to hear it all the time when I was young. I want to make it to the pearly gates, pearly gates, pearly gates. This comes straight out of the scriptures. The pearly gates is twelve gates, and that's for the twelve tribes of Israel, y'all. It says, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. So the gold is going to be so pure. And this is giving the description of what the kingdom is going to look like, y'all. But there's a point I want to get to to prove about the sun and the moon not being there. Verse 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So this is what it's talking about. We just read Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 20. We ain't going to have no need of the sun and the moon. The Most High in Christ, he's the Lamb, is going to be our light and our moon. Reading on, um, and the nations of them which are saved, so some of the nations are going to be destroyed, some are going to be saved because they got to put the work in, shall walk in the light of it. And the kings, they're going to walk in the light of it how? As servants. It says, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. We're going to be served by the Gentiles, y'all, by the nations, the actual Gentiles, verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no no night there. This is what it's talking about, Isaiah uh, chapter 60, verse 20. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it. This goes hand in hand with what we read in Isaiah, the 60th chapter. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever work it abomination or make it a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Israelites, man. There's not, not going to be no unrighteousness in there, anything that's defiled. Ain't no damn acronyms going to be there. Ain't no damn toxic masculinity and all this other mess they talking about. Ain't none of that going to be there. 
All right, y'all. Let's jump uh, back to uh, where was we at? Let's go back to Isaiah two. Isaiah two. And, and I'm skipping around, y'all. There's so many scriptures dealing with uh, our kingdom and how the other nations gonna go to work. I just picked out a, a few choice ones. Isaiah chapter two and verse two. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. So how are all these nations going to flow into the house of the Lord? Isaiah 14 and 1. Isaiah 14, 1. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them. The strangers talking about who? The nations, the Gentiles. And they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them up. The Israelites are going to take the nations and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for service. We're going to possess people. We're going to possess nations. We're going to possess Gentiles. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants. They're going to be what? Servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives. Whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. People really don't read the Bible, man. They don't, man. They really don't. People really don't get this. And it shall come to pass in the day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow and from thy fear and from the hard bondage wherein thou hast made. Thou was made to serve. The Most High is coming to uproot us to where we ain't suffering no more, to where we ain't struggling no more and being oppressed no more, man. This is what we're waiting on. Isaiah 61, man. I'm going to try to... Let me just read it. Isaiah 61 and 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord had appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Good tidings is also known as good news, y'all. You can couple this with Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. This is the gospel. This is the good news. He has sent me to build up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open and the opening of the prison to them that are bound up. So-called black, Hispanic, Native Americans, we heavily populate the prison industry. In the prison industrial complex Verse 2 To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord And the day of vengeance of our God To, com- to I'm sorry To comfort all that mourn To appoint unto them That mourn in Zion To give unto them beauty for ashes The oil of joyful mourning The garment of praise For the spirit of heaviness That they might be called Trees of righteousness Planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old way cities. 
they shall raise up the former desolations. Because remember, Christ is coming to destroy. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Now listen to this. Who's going to be working? Because it says they. Who's going to be working, though? Verse 5. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the aliens shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. The strangers is talking about the nations, talking about the Gentiles, talking about the heathen, y'all. They're going to work. Verse 6. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. People don't read the Bible. And in their glory shall ye boast. So we're going to be boasting about the stuff the Gentiles going to be giving us. Like, man, I, I got a whole uh, stable of stallions, of white stallions. Give me them damn Anheuser-Busch horses. <laughs> I got them pretty white stallions, the pretty black stallions. You know what? I got elephants that I got from ham. I got uh, I got more curry from the, from the Elamites than I need. I got more teas from China than I need. I got more uh, porcelain from China than I need. You know what? I have so much porcelain. I got a porcelain toothbrush. <laughs> what, this is what it's talking about. Read it again, verse 6. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you the ministers of God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory... Shall ye boast yourselves? Yeah, we're going to be bragging about the riches, the resources that we got. Verse 7, for your shame ye shall have double. So for all the stuff we've been through, we're going to get double. So other nations have ruled. They had their kingdom. They had their chance. But our, their kingdom compared to ours is going to be nothing. We're going to have double everything they got. So think of America, how rich this country is. We're going to have double what America has. Let that sink in, y'all. It says, and for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. They're going to rejoice in their portion. And what's going to be their portion? Work. They are going to work, y'all. It says, therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment. The most high loves judgment. This is the judgment. I hate robbery, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Talking about us. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, and shall not acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decking himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorning herself with jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden mm-hmm. causes the things that, that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all nations. They going to work, y'all. Let's get wisdom of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1. 
Wisdom of Solomon chapter 5, verse 1. Then shall the righteous man stand in great boldness before the faith of such as have afflicted him. This is us. And made, and made no account of his labor. They made no account of our labor, man. They gave us nothing. They took everything from us, all the nations, not just Esau. All the nations have transpired and stolen and robbed and, and uh, molested us and oppressed us. Verse 2, when they see it, they shall be troubled with terrible fear and shall be amazed at the strangeness of his salvation. The nation is going to be troubled when they see us getting saved and them being destroyed and going to work. They're going to be scratching their head trying to figure it out because religion had taught them that they was going to make it to the kingdom too in the capacity that we're going to get there. And that's a bald-faced lie. It says, so far beyond all that they look for. And they, repenting and groaning for anguish of spirit, shall say within themselves, this was he whom we had sometimes in derision or derision and a proverb of reproach. And they have. They gave us the proverb, the name you go by, nigger, spit, black, Hispanic, Generation X. African-American, all the damn proverbs they gave us to go by. Verse 4, we fools accounted his life madness. So they're admitting to themselves that they fools. This is what's going to happen. And they accounted our lives to be senseless or mad. Many people crazy. They kill their own people. Look at it. They hold their own damn daughters out. Them people crazy. They're animals anyway. Let them lose their soul. And his end to be without honor. How, listen to this, verse 5. How is he numbered among the children of God? <laughs> what? <laughs> Give me some. How is he numbered among the children of God? And his lot is among the saints. Therefore have we erred. From the way of truth And the light of righteousness Had not shined upon us And the sun of righteousness Rose not upon us They going to admit their wickedness Verse 7 We wearied ourselves In the way of wickedness And destruction Yea, we have gone through deserts Where there lay no way But as for the way of the Lord We have not Known it The other nations have never known the way of the most high What have pride profited us Or what good have riches With our vanities brought us All those things Were passed away like a shadow And as a post That hastened by And as a ship that passed Over the waters of the water Which when it is gone by the trace thereof cannot be found. Neither the pathways of the knee of, of the kneel in the waves, or as when a bird has flown through the air, there is no token of her way to be found. But the light, but the light air being beaten with the stroke of her wings, and parted with the violent noise 
and motioned of them. It passed through, and therein afterwards no sign where she went is to be found. Or like as when an arrow is shot at a mark and parted the air, which untimely cometh together again, so that a man cannot know where it went through. I mean, he's talking about their life is just insignificant, man. And let me get to the point. Verse 15. But the righteous live forevermore. Their reward also is with the Lord. And the care of them is with the Most High. That righteous being us, God's chosen people, man, who sometimes called Gentiles because we grew up in Gentile nations. Now, let's get Hebrews chapter 8. And I'm going to start at verse 8. For finding fault with them, the Most High did, but them is us. He found fault with us. He said, Behold, the day is coming, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Come on, y'all. When he says the house of Israel, he's talking about the northern kingdom. When he says Judah, he's talking about the southern kingdom. He's making a covenant with us. He didn't mention any religion, and he didn't mention other nations. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, said the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people, man. I don't know what book these people are reading. This contract is going to be made with Israel. He promised this. And what is Paul quoting? Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 31. Behold. The day said the Lord the days come and said the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, said the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with them or make with the house of Israel. Man, neither one of these verses that I read in New Testament, Old Testament, talks about the Gentiles and the covenant being made with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in the inward parts and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Man, come on, y'all. This is what we're waiting on, is Israel, y'all. We're waiting on the Most High to give us the spirit to where we're incapable of doing any wickedness and we're in our homeland enjoying it and enjoying all the fruits of the Gentiles and the Gentiles working their ass off and we coming up every day. So y'all, I think that's that's enough information that I flooded y'all with on this topic of the Gentiles. I hope y'all got some edification some understanding. If you got any questions or anything you want to dispute that I went over in this class, please contact me 
314-482-9110. The Water Mashallah for hooking up the broadcast. The Water for everybody that's listening in. And for all y'all support, man, that y'all supported uh, Blog Talk, Bible Talk with for so many years, man, it is greatly appreciated. And to all our brothers man, that are falling, come back, man. Get yourself up. Like what's the old uh, Aaliyah song? Get yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again. Dust yourself off and try again, man. The Most High ain't forsaken you. Repent, man. Come back to the Most High. All right, y'all, I'm going to end it right there. I think this is a good place to end. Um, So with that, I'm going to say shalom, y'all. Thank you.